You're listening to the Medic Materials Podcast, hosted by Mike Turk, Emily Yates, and Gerard Cuomo. All are current EMS providers and educators with a combined 30 years of EMS experience. Each month we discuss EMS news, medical science, and review actual EMS calls, offering many educational opportunities to the listener. Portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of all involved. Hello and welcome everyone back to the uh, Medic Materials Podcast. My name is Mike Turek. I'm here with Gerard, Emily, and Kelsey as always. And today we're going to be talking all about a uh, another BLS call uh, that... Uh... <laughs> Thanks, Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> Did anybody watch his face through that permission? <laughs> Take a, take a drink. Take a drink. The things that amuse me. Just dangle some keys and I'll just be satisfied for hours. That's why we love it, I'm buddy. sorry. <laughs> sorry. No worries. So uh, we're, we're going to be continuing the conversation with, with really good BLS providers uh, that we started earlier in the month. And I think... There's a lot to discuss, not only medically, but what happened actually between the crew. Uh, this is a ALS BLS crew, so I think it'll be kind of interesting to see where your guys' heads go uh, with the interaction as well as the uh, the differential diagnosis and the treatment on this one. So, uh, before we get started, Kelsey, your rig check. First things first, thank you to all of our listeners and supporters, especially those listening in Minnesota and the UK today. Go check out our merch on Teespring to help support the podcast. We just released our newest Thin White Line Star of Life sticker. It's really cool. Go check it out. If you want to support the podcast another way, you can also support by rating and reviewing the podcast on whatever streaming platform you listen from. That really helps put our name out there and get it out to other people who may be interested. If you have a call that you want to discuss or have us review, feel free to fill out the survey in the show notes below to get our feedback and education on whatever calls you've done or even heard about. Oh, the UK, huh? The UK. Awesome. Yeah. We, we've we, actually got a established listener base in the UK. Fantastic. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we are but uh, awesome. two people separated by a common language. That is true. That is true. Yes. And a couple miles of ocean. Or or pond, the as pond, they would say. Yes, yes the yes. pond. Imagine oh, if yeah, if, imagine if there was like, you know, the Concord again where, you know, you could travel fairly yeah, quickly imagine that it imagine went, that imagine you, know? you used to be able to get across the pond in like an hour yeah it's, right. it went from six months to an hour and then they yeah, killed it yeah. said oh that's too quick whatever i digress so anywho oh no he's he's gonna talk airplanes now i'm sorry <laughs> i'll stay away from airplanes like, see you understand the fuel flow rate of the uh no just, oh, just wait until the the stuff that I'm going to be talking about in this call. It'll be it'll be fun. Okay. So, um, I get to bring a little bit of experience outside of EMS into the call, hmm. which is which is kind of fun. So, uh, the description of the EMS district: you have a uh, a local fire department that carries CFRs or EMRs, your first responders, uh, and typically this district is covered by one ALS transport and commercial ambulance staffed always with an EMT basic and a paramedic. Uh, in this case, experience actually comes into play. Uh, so the uh, experience of the providers, the EMT has had 10 years of being an EMT basic, uh, whereas the medic 
is a newly christened paramedic with one month on the road. However, they've Aww. been an EMT for two years prior. A real baby. Yeah, a little baby, right? Like, <laughs> like I am the little baby in this situation. I'm going to do that to you, too. Don't worry. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. You have, your proud, you have your proud mom moment. I will. Yes. I, I 100% will. will. Yes. I think we all will. Uh, so your area hospitals, you have a critical access hospital, approximately 21 minute drive. Uh, approximately west. 21 minutes, guys. Yeah, very specific. It could be, it could be 20 14. minutes. Okay. It could be. I Googled it because I really <laughs> wanted to know. Approximately so, 21 minutes. Well, it was like 21.39 on Google. So Your Vulcan is showing. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> Normal people would say 20. Okay, so 21-minute drive. Um, <laughs> the, uh, there's a level 2 trauma center, a uh, 33-minute drive, and a level 1 trauma center, a 90-minute drive. Um, in Here in New York State, the differentiation between level 1 and level 2 trauma centers is specifically that a level 1 has to have their services there 24 7, 365. They need to be in house, ready to be called. Whereas a level two, they can be a, you know, within half hour driving distance and can On be called. System. They do the same thing. It's just whether or not they're there, um, at least in this state. So you guys are dispatched priority one for a semi responsive male. No further information from the caller is given on the initial dispatch. Uh, the scene information, and this is where it starts to get a little fun, is we are going past rural, we're going past Gilboa, <laughs> and we're going into... Bumfucked Idaho. Nope. Cowtown. Nope. <laughs> Dang it. We're going into Rustic, okay? Rustic. We're, we're going to call this location <laughs> Rustic, okay? <laughs> what is a dashing urbanite like you doing in a rustic setting like this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want uh, cows. <laughs> So, there's no cows here. That's the problem. The cows don't even want to go there. Right. You're, there are mountain lions and bears here. And sister brothers and uncle fathers. And yeah. Not a good place to go. Yeah. So this Lots of banjos. <laughs> it, I think it's past the banjos. There's not even houses around here. So the well, call. I've, I've answered calls in that place. That's where they give you the dispatch of, yeah, it's uh, right at the old barn there <laughs> where the power lines cross the road. I shit you not, that was a dispatch. Right next to that tree over there. Yeah. yeah. Where uh, old man Peabody's barn was uh, where the power lines cross the road. And I'm like, Before it burned down in 05. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, this call is in a very rustic area. It takes place within a state uh, park preserve on top of a mountaintop. Uh, this this preserve is <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm just thinking, this is... He's picturing it. Okay. Are they dispatching the National Guard? <laughs> outside my school. So this preserve is actually world famous for its hiking and rock climbing. However, there is Ooh. no cell service in this locaria in this locaria. <laughs> in this location. And there is only one state highway that cuts the mountain in half, east and west. Okay. Um 
the commercial transporting ambulance has a response time of 26 minutes. Uh, while en route, the crew is updated from the County 911 and advised they are responding to meet uh, Park Preserve Rangers who are currently extricating a male patient, uh, semi to non-responsive, from about one mile into one of the sets of trails on the preserve. Uh, the patient has suffered a fall while rock climbing. So Oy. with this information that you guys... Rangers. Right. I'm thinking. So, mm, with the awesome. with the present information, are you guys thinking about anything specific here? Traumatic injury. Traumatic injuries, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. How I big mean, was the fall? Like, yeah. a fall from rock climbing. Is w- he still breathing? Right. Sucks. Yeah. No, I've taken falls rock climbing. I've taken falls ice climbing. They're not fun. Again, why? Why? But I'm like, no, it's a, <laughs> it's a different topic. Because it's fun. It is. The thrill. No, there's there's lots of things to get thrills from without falling to your death. Yeah, but I'm on a rope, so like this guy. So anywho, (laughs) other than traumatic injuries, anything else that we're thinking in the in the with the present information given? Time for extrication. Nothing's gonna be fast. I mean, nothing is gonna be fast. I agree with that. Here, you know, they're they're a mile in. Who knows? You know, if this crew is experienced on that trail, like maybe they've walked it before they know how the heck far in they are, where they are. It, yeah. it could be a long process. This is a BLS crew only. Oh, paramedic. Oh, Remember the baby? EMT paramedic. Um, however, the typically the rangers are only... You know, first aid certified. They're not. They're not CFRs. They're not. You know, like EMTs. They're there for extrication. They know some splinting. They know some bandaging, and that's about it. So, do park rangers have the ability to extricate by themselves? Yes. So, in this area, when I spoke to the crew, uh, they said that these park rangers uh, literally will handle all aspects of extrication without. EMS. Okay. Unless EMS like forces upon themselves, like go in, do stuff, they usually bring people out to EMS, okay. at least in this location. Mm-hmm. So the EMS crew arrives on the scene and they're located in a small parking lot off the main roadway. They cannot access the trail with their vehicle as it's gated off. Now, this, according to the providers, is a very wide trail. You can't actually fit a vehicle on it. It's a very like groomed trail. Uh, the fire department is on scene and advises EMS that the preserve rangers are still extricating the patient off of the rocks. They are estimated to be a mile down trail and will be bringing the patient out via a pickup truck. Uh, oof. Oof. I guess my question right now. It's my biggest nightmare right here. Yeah. My question right now would be. How far down that trail can we safely go as far as it being like a bunny trail before it turns to where you need to have some kind of, you know, expertise Mm -hmm. to where I can actually meet them and start treating? Okay. All right. But if you can't get down the gate, you can't get through the gate, can you walk around it? You can easily easily walk around uh, from what I've been told. And there's... Find Farmer John with his... That's what I was thinking. Somebody who's got a four-wheeler, anybody... So, and that's it. So in this area, really, there's no, you know, there's no access to 
someone with a gator. The fire department doesn't have one. They have. Isn't that amazing in a district that you know this is part of mm-hmm. that they don't have those resources? Yeah. Always talk about. That's crazy. Yep. I know. The yep. cash is there. Yeah. She with the rail trail. Yeah, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys can it, borrow my quad anytime. I'll show up on my quad. Or no, it's not, not, I shouldn't say no money. It's. Where they're going to allocate it. Right. Well, it's where, where, where do you allocate it? it. Yeah. So uh, in in preferencing what you're thinking, the EMT actually have a discussion at this time about whether to begin walking down the trail. Mm. Uh, the medic is all for grabbing the gear and begin walking towards the patient, stating if they can make it to the patient, they can begin treatment. Whereas the EMT is completely against walking down the trail, uh, stating yes, if, with quotes, uh, as I was told, if we can make it to the patient, uh, they have no clue where on the trail the rangers are and could extend the extrication time searching for the rangers right, or they, they could just wait the yeah. and have the yeah, patient I'm with delivered the to their front this. door. I'm yeah. kind of with the empty on like this. Like I said, I just wanted to, for me, I right off the bat, I, I, I only want to go as far as... I can go with it being basically like a bunny trail. Just, just can you go a hundred yards before e- e- it gets rough? Yeah, even if it's just a hundred yards, right? That's closer to where they're going to be, and maybe set up a little little shop there where we can do some triage and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, uh, so that we're ready when they bring them out. But no, I'm not going to them, right? Screw and that. and I don't think, yeah. you know, from from hearing from the crew how this trail was actually uh, designed, it seems like. It was it was flat enough. It wasn't a rugged trail. This is a well groomed, well maintained, a very wide trail that you could literally walk down to where they were. However, you don't know where the heck they actually are. <clears throat> so ultimately, the EMT actually wins the discussion and they choose to wait by the trailhead for the Rangers to arrive with the patient. This is a uh, approximately a twenty minute time period that they're waiting. Um, the ranger pickup finally arrives at the trailhead and stops in the parking lot near the ambulance. The EMS crew steps into the back of the pickup truck and finds an adult male patient laying supine secured to a backboard fully immobilized. He is wearing nothing but shorts that appear to have been cut apart. Uh, he is currently responsive to painful stimuli only. There is a wet bandage. Uh, wrapped around his head the left arm and left leg are both currently in air splints oxygen is in place via a non-rebreather mask uh, due to a initial oxygen saturation of 75 percent reported to ems by the rangers so what is the temperature outside it's a bright sunny day so you're you're looking at 80s 90 degree day midsummer Okay. Don't feel to put a blanket on him. <clears throat> so, wet wet where bandage? A wet <laughs> bandage. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? So, did they wet it? I'm confused. They did not. But they did not wet it. Uh, it is. <laughs> I I'm going to assume that blood? it's wet with blood because okay. later okay. on down the call, like, what? They're reported like, of a lack on the head. So okay, okay. I'm assuming. All right. That it's wet I missed with blood. everything else you said after that. I got really like, caught like up on that. Let's, uh, let's get a wet bandage on yeah. I'm sorry, why? It's like, you know, 10% burn, non-10% burn, you know. Yeah, throw it on there. He, he's got a little, like, rock burn on his face. So, other, other than the wet bandage, 
You smoked. have. I'm sorry. I missed everything else. <laughs> I just keep seeing Joe Pesci's face in my, you know, we're the wet bandits. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that girl will forever be known as the wet bandage. <laughs> oh, I love it. So <laughs> where do you guys want to go? You're going to have to recap because I believe it's okay. everything. Oh, after yeah, okay. really stuck on the wet bandage. <laughs> okay. So he's currently responsive to painful stimuli. There's the bandage. <laughs> the left arm and the left leg are both in air splints. And he's currently got oxygen on his face via a non-rebreather because the Rangers found initial oxygen saturation of 75%. So I kind of like these Rangers already. Listen, go yeah. them if they're right. only first aid certified and they did all that already. Right. That's what so I was thinking. Where, where is your guys' treatment path here? Like, where? what is the next thing that you guys want to do here? ABCs. Okay. Start from scratch. Start from scratch, right? We don't really know anything. Okay. So uh, the EMT gets with the park rangers and goes, what the heck is actually going on here? Right. So it's reported to EMS from the rangers. He's a 53-year-old male who is here visiting, uh, visiting the United States from France with friends. They are here to rock climb the famous rock face within the preserve. Uh, The friends told the rangers that he was lead climbing a single pitch when one of his cams, which I'll talk about, cams are just anchors, uh, became dislodged from the rock, causing him to fall. This was between cams. He was about 10 feet. Okay, so in total, he fell approximately 20 feet before his body snapped upwards. Okay, that in itself sounds painful, which then that sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, let's do it. So, <laughs> so then it gets worse. <laughs> so then uh, as he uh, gets snapped upwards, it causes the pressure to be released on two other cams, which then fall or, you know, fail and release from oh the rocks. Oh this my means God. he plummets the rest of the way without anchors and lands on the rocks below, which is oh. how much further? The total fall was approximately 60 feet from where he started. Why do people do this? Okay. I don't understand. <laughs> Why? Because it's awesome. Does any of this sound fun? I, I want to go skydiving, <laughs> but like there's at least a backup right, I'm with you in skydiving. Okay. So, skydiving, you got a shoot. If you got a backup shoot. You cut it, you got a backup. That's what I'm saying. You know? Okay. Or bungee jumping. This man had three fail. cams fail. Right. Okay, it's it's called a zipper effect. It happens. Um, and the fact that it happens, so and the fact that they know that and still do it, yeah, right. it's a thrill thing. It's a, it's a thrill thing. And and I I want to talk I about the science of falling and rock climbing. In so many other places. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not drugs. That's true. Well, it's sort of like drugs. I mean, you still get the the dump of epinephrine and like, you know. Like, as you fall, yes. <laughs> no, and then again, because, up. you know, right. it's zippering. Right. Right. Whatever the fuck you call it. <laughs> okay, okay. Hold on. Hold on. We, there will be time to argue about the funness of rock climbing when I when I start explaining what's it's going zippering. on here. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you guys suck. So... So 60 feet. So 60 feet. zipper right there. Please. <laughs> so approximately 60 feet. He landed mainly on his left side and was not wearing any protective gear like a helmet. Oh. Okay. Like you do. <laughs> like better. you do. Okay. Uh, there was 
no ability for his belayer to catch him as there were no points of friction um, <laughs> with the cams. So, Cam okay. So here's. I, I love that, that word. Is. Belay. Yeah. So here's ultimately like the science way. behind what happened here. Um, when you are using, when you're lead climbing, you're literally making your anchors as you go. So there's two types of climbing that you can do. You can do a top rope where you climb, you walk up a trail around the rock face that you're going to climb and you tie off all your anchors and your ropes to trees or rocks or solid pieces of better option. That sounds like it should be called the smart. (laughs) It is. And that's why that's what I do. (laughs) So, and then there's lead climbing where typically you have your most experienced climber start the climb. And what they do is they use these cams, which are just mechanical devices that you springs. Right. That you put into rocks and then the springs, you know, engage Mm -hmm. and keep and make an anchor within the rock. Uh, And that's where you tie off to. Mm -hmm. As you go up, you put more cams in your path. Once you get to a pitch, you typically will stop and then you top belay the next person coming up. So now the next person can't fall because there's a person belaying at the top. So if an anchor fails, he falls 10 feet or five feet or whatever until the belayer at the top catches him. Unless he zippers. Well, even if he zippers, the belayer will catch him. still catching him. He's still... Because unless your blair is really tiny and goes down too. So what happens with this is there's no there's um, nobody to catch him. There's nobody to catch him, right? Even if you're lead climbing with a belayer on the ground, if you have a cam fail, you've lost a friction point, right? You need mm-hmm. friction to be able for the belayer to stop. So if you lose the cam, you fall to the next cam. If that one fails, now you keep falling. There's no way for the belayer on the ground, which this guy had, to be able to make up enough slack to actually catch you. So even though he was doing it safely with a belayer, it's a terrible idea. This yeah, is, this yeah, is why you stick so, to ropes courses. Just saying, I mean, like I, I indoor rock climbing. Where this whole thing came from, right? And you know, like we, you know, at some point in time in a military operation, somebody had to take a certain point on top of a hill yes. or a mountain. So they figure all this crap out to get up there and kill the bad guys. Well, that's great. I love how we went from rock climbing to bad guys. Yeah, we don't have to kill the bad guys anymore. He <laughs> always goes to bad guys. So we don't have to rock climb. Right? But Le- rock climbing's fun. Leave it to the guys. That, yeah, ask this guy. Leave it to the guys that have to do mm. it. See, you like, know? top down is fine. The idea of going up is... Well, and that, that's you know, the part that freaks me out. There is, a, there is a reason why top roping is less dangerous, you know, way safer. It's still just as much fun, but... You know, lead climbing is a thrill for a lot of people. In my former profession, we had a saying. It was made by man. It was made to fail. That's true. I'm not disagreeing with the fact that this was a catastrophic event that, you know, this guy had probably been climbing for 30 plus years, maybe never happened once in his entire career of climbing. And it happens once. That's all it takes. You know, so. Take that risk with anything you do. I mean, everybody gets in a car every day to go to work. And that's it. So with the last thing with rock climbing specific falls is your rope stretches. So if you fall 10 feet, say you fall 10 feet, your rope is designed to stretch the amount of 
feet that you fall. So if you fall 10 feet, your rope will stretch 10 feet. So your fall is actually 20 feet. It's giving you a, a, a brace that you're not, you know, fall 10 feet and then slam. Is there a rebound? That well, that's that is the rebound. You're falling, it's stretching, it's absorbing so they, the energy, and you come back up. Back up. So it's a bungee cord. It's more or less like a bungee cord. Okay. I would do bungee jumping. Do that. They fail more than this. Never mind. <laughs> we're not doing bungee jumping. Way way sooner than bungee jumping. So this guy had Sad. a t- <laughs> this guy had a ten foot fall, which originally then is a twenty foot fall because of the rope. And then his extra cams fell, which is why he just plummeted the rest of the maybe 30, feet. 40 feet down onto the rocks. Okay, so so we, mm. we move past that. Wait, is it like flat rocks or like jaggedy rocks? Nope, these are flat rocks. Okay, so... Just a little. Not me. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's no blessing. If they were jagged, at least it would be over. <laughs> now he's... And then you're just impaled. Yeah, which like, is why oh, he wow. says it would be over. It would be over. Pretty much over, yeah. So the ranger also reports that they found him bleeding from a three-inch-long laceration above the left eye, which they bandaged. Your wet bandage. We have the wet bandage. <laughs> they also found an angulated closed fracture to the lower left uh, leg, which they reduced back into place using the splint. However, they found no pulses in the left foot. Finally, they report finding crepitus to the middle of the left arm, uh, having weak pulses present in the left wrist post uh, air splint. Okay. The Rangers then uh, present the uh, paramedic with a medication list they found in the gentleman's wallet. Go figure. Yeah. At least There's, he was prepared. Wow. Right, there, it's not much use though. There are five are medications. They all in French? There is five medications <laughs> listed. However, they're all in French. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Le baguette. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's Dijon. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> there's no medical history, and there's no allergy history found uh, within the wallet, and there's there none of the uh, none of the stuff is known by the friends. Now the friends they at least speak English. The friends speak English. The friends did not accompany the ranger truck so they're still somewhere Picking on the trail it. so they're you like, we, we're, like, we're, we're still here having fun whatever right, right. right. somebody like, will find you <laughs> we're we're continuing the top rope but whatever Sorry, pierre we'll see you later. <laughs> so john paul, john paul. <laughs> um at this point in time, the EMT attaches uh, the gentleman to the cardiac monitor. The initial rhythm is sinus bradycardia at a rate of 52. Wait, I the, never got my A and B out of you. Is he breathing? He is breathing. Okay. We're getting that. We're getting there. Stop interrupting. God. Uh, <laughs> That's an important one. No, he, he is breathing on his own. Um, they he, have him on an armor breather. He was 70-something percent on room okay. air. Yep. And uh, his airway is open. There's no blood or, you know, vomit or any debris okay. in the airway. That wet or nothing like that. <laughs> just, <laughs> just that wet bandage. <laughs> so, felt like that was an important one that we skipped over. Nope. A, A B is completely fine. <laughs> no news is good news. Right. Um, 
So with the initial rhythm, you find uh, sinus bradycardia at a rate of 52. <laughs> the EMT then begins to take a manual blood pressure, which returns at 86 over 40. The paramedic during this time sternal rubs really? the patient. They find uh, after the sternal rub, there's a slight soft groan with no eye opening under the painful stimuli. Uh, the medic then begins to search for an IV site on the patient's right side since the left side is all splinted. Baby um, paramedic, go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the EMT begins a conversation with the medic on how the heck they're getting this patient off the mountain. Remember, there's three hospitals all 20 plus minutes away, right? Your level one is 90 minutes away by, by ground. Um, the... The EMT asks, are we going to drive him or are we going to fly him? Uh, and the medic kind of defers this decision to the EMT, and they seem very unsure of the right answer. Now they're attempting that, like, they're mid-attempt on that uh, on that IV. So, so they, got, they just kind of say, EMT, you make the call. I don't I really care. About this earlier, so right? I would have actually probably called... Well, that's why we're waiting. Because they could be there waiting with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And kind of go from there. You know, and this guy needs to go to a trauma center. Mm-hmm. He needs to go to that yep. level one. 90 minutes away. I bet they can fly that a lot faster. Oh, yeah. yep. yep. Okay. So the, uh, the EMT gets on the radio, makes their decision, and they request to have the air medical respond to the scene. County 911 comes back and says that the flight crew has accepted with a six-minute flight time plus lift. Uh, The fire chief on scene advises EMS that the only landing zone available in the immediate area is an open field 15-minute drive down the road. Now, uh, in terms of flight time via drive time, right, aircraft flight times from this scene... Uh, for reference, the level two trauma center, which was, you know, a 33 minute drive is a 12 minute flight. The level one trauma center, which was the 90 minute drive is a 22 minute flight. Okay. So that kind of puts it into perspective, Mm -hmm. like why some of these critical calls we should be utilizing the air medical, Mm -hmm. not so much for all all the really cool things that they do, but just for the time saved. But and also think if you have a prolonged extrication, like for him, or even if you have a prolonged extrication out of a car, think of calling them early because the second they come out, they can establish patient contact. So you're really not losing any time. Right. Right. Like like if the pickup truck comes up the mountain and, you know, the patient's in the back, you know, doing the running man in the bed. Hey, great. Now we don't need you. Goodbye. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, oh crap, he's busted to pieces. Here, guys. <laughs> right. We're Enjoy now, I mean, we're 25 minutes behind the eight ball, right. plus the 26 minutes because no aircraft was ever put on standby from the county. Right. So now you're, you know, almost 45 minutes into the call that. I mean, we're pretty spoiled and, in and our area. Doing our scene size up. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're pretty spoiled in our area that both counties here all three counties here um we'll put them on automatically but think it's something to think about if they don't yeah early and and this call was actually from a couple years ago in where the automatic standby policy was not even a concept yet you know uh so it's it's definitely interesting in doing that scene size up effectively like knowing hey i'm driving 26 minutes to this call where a dude just fell off of a rock. Like he probably needs 
something yeah. more than me, you know? And like you said, call it. If you don't need it, say you later, <laughs> goodbye, you yeah. know? So I want to ask you guys how this call is going so far for you guys. Like, is there stuff that you would have done differently in a different order other than the air medical? And what kind of developing differential diagnosis do you have running through your head at this point in time? Well, we're sure we have no, he was not wearing a helmet, right? No helmet. So we're going to, yeah, this is going to be a handful of differential diagnosis. Uh, yeah. Uh, basically anything that's literally neural, everything. everything. Yeah. Yeah. He broke. Yeah. yeah he's broken. <laughs> yeah. He got into a couple surgeons. Traumatic injury, you know. I mean, he's got a neurotraumatic injury with an altered level of consciousness. So, like, that is the pressing Mm -hmm. one. Now, are you guys thinking more uh, head injury or spine injury or a combination of both? It'd be both. Yeah. Yeah. My x ray vision is broken. (laughs) They really should make glasses. They did. It said x ray and they had little swirls. (laughs) (laughs) Real glasses. I don't know know how good they worked, but. So is there is there something that you guys you know really want to get done at this point in time that hasn't still- already been done or at least hasn't been done effectively enough to where you guys are like okay I can I can bypass that right ABCs have been done ABCs vitals and uh, yeah get, get monitor definitely yeah, if he hasn't been collared or no. go and collar him is he out of the pickup truck yet nope. He's we're, everybody is still in the pickup truck. He has been sea collared. He's been fully immobilized uh, again because this call took place a few years ago. The spinal motion restriction protocol was not in place. Right, so, not so this guy is backboarded, collared, I'm not even against blocked, that, right? like, everything. I'm not, I he's think probably broken okay. everywhere. So yeah. I'm not even against that so at my, all. Yeah. My question now is what is his GCS calculated at? And I know I'm not sure that I'm really all that I happy with a yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, that's where I'm going. With yeah, this. I think what, I would reassess that. Where are we at with that. GCS, and what are we at with capability for RSI? Especially if you said when the re- EMT reevaluates, he's barely responding to that sternal rub. Right, and that's it. Like you, you can still kind of put him at you know a two for you know painful stimuli, but it is barely there. Really right. on the line. Like, is he? Yeah. You're like, yeah, is he so really? You know, I mean, there's only so much you can do extricating him. So, like, put him on the non rebreather, get him out. He was hypoxic. That's great, but right. I think that really needs to be addressed quick. Yep. Do they have an adjunct in place or no? They do not. Okay, they do not. Well, actually, you know what? I'm glad they didn't. Okay. And, yeah. and that would wrong one. Yeah. You know, and and again with the fact that the Rangers are not CFRs or EMRs, I know they is, can't they even do great. adjuncts. They did amazing, you know? amazing. considering they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yep. They're just for state. And that's stuff. it. Like, you know, for for what you think, like, oh, what a ranger can do. Like, oh, first aid, they can bandage and do some but stuff. Look at this. They yeah. really kicked butt. They, did they really yeah. did a well done job. And, and again, nobody really saw the extrication process. Right. They could have just been like, ah, bro, I'm on it. <laughs> Who knows? No, but no, right, like but, like, but like I mean, beautifully. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. the, the, the vision of how he comes in the pickup truck yeah, is yeah. like, ooh, magic. <laughs> nice, like, you know, packaged, beautiful, wrapped with a bow type pay. Like I like the bow. That. Uh, so the crew uh, loads Paris the patient. <laughs> <laughs> so 
The crew loads the patient onto the stretcher using the backboard and then into the ambulance. Uh, the apparent uh, first IV was a miss, uh, but within the ambulance, the medic is finally able to uh, gain IV access and places an 18-gauge catheter in the right AC. Uh, a thousand ml bag of normal saline is hung and a wide open infusion is started. The medic uh, now takes time to perform a detailed physical exam. Are they, we moving at this point or are we just sitting? They there? are sitting in the parking lot. Uh, they find that the bleeding appears controlled with the bandage to the head. Peripheral pulses are now gone in all four extremities. He is pale, cool, cyanotic in the lips and hands. Chest appears to have no trauma or crepitus. There's equal clear lung sounds bilaterally. Uh, the oh, that's abdomen, a miracle. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Like you're waiting <laughs> just Holy for a pneumo. Shit. I was about to ask, is he still breathing? Yeah, yeah you're, well, you're waiting for a pneumo wow. or something, like something a hemo pneumo or right. something, you know? Or him just to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, the abdomen is soft and non-rigid. The uh, pelvis appears intact upon palpation, and it is, right? And uh, they cannot access, again, his back because he's on the backboard. I don't even know if I'd mess with it, though. No. No, I'm not. I'm not. Nope. I don't don't even care. Yeah, I don't either. (laughs) I don't care. Leave it. Um, Half of his body is broke. I can right. safely assume that More of it is something too. else is broken. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it kind of seems like, especially without that pelvis being broken or, you know, ribs and More stuff like that, that it almost, like in my head, it almost seems like he put his leg and arm to out catch himself. to right. catch himself. And that's why they had angulated fractures of his extremities. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I don't know. That's just the way I'm thinking. So the EMT at this time places him on the uh, the automatic blood pressure cuff and runs another set of vital signs. The BP returns is 51 over 37. The heart rate is still bradycardic. However, now it's at a rate of 32. Uh, respiratory rate is around 10. However, now it's erratic and shallow, where, where before it was rhythmic but shallow. Uh, this is neuro. Your your yeah. SpO2 on the non-rebreather is now 72%. He is now fully unresponsive to all stimuli. Intubate. So, boom. boom. Just like that. <laughs> boom. Jack, you know what? Stuff it, it in there. Grab the tongue with your thumb face to face. There you go. <laughs> boom. Right in. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to intubate with? We got a paramedic, right? We do have a paramedic. Yeah. Drugs. Yeah. If he's unresponsive. He's unresponsive. To, to everything. Yeah. At this point, he yeah. is unresponsive to all You better do it quick because he's got to hurry to 30. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, and so. And a diastolic of 30. Yeah. Well, and that's it. So, like, there's, you're, you're you getting. I'm going to hang the lever. <laughs> Honestly. Well, and that's, so, again, we have to look at our constraints of the system. Right. They don't have a presser. Really? Okay. Right? So, there is. Fluid. Fluid is your option. Which they're doing. Which they're off doing. Off the get-go. Right. Because their first blood pressure was, was hypotensive as well. Right. Now you're even more soft, right? You're in the 50s over 30s, and they have a heart rate of 32. You shouted out, this is definitely neuro, right? I, I'm thinking the same kind of thing, you know, some sort of like neurogenic shock. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, whether it happened via a spinal injury right, or right. a, uh, a head injury, right, right. it doesn't really much matter. Um, so at this point in time, the EMT is sitting in the captain's chair. 
Now, this is a van ambulance, so confined quarters. Okay. The EMT is sitting in the captain's chair, and he notices the uh, the paramedic fumbling through their drug bag, just digging what? frantically for stuff. The EMT literally Anything. looks at them and goes, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, what are you looking for? And the medic gives no answer, just completely ignores them, keeps fumbling and digging into the drug bag. The EMT again goes, dude, um, what are you doing? And goes further to say, you need to do something, like fix something on this dude. The medic looks at him and goes, well, what do you want me to fix first? Airway. So this is, a, this is an interesting kind of concept that develops within this crew. And I think there's two ways to attack it. Right, you can look at the EMT kind of maybe overstepping some bounds. No, or and I don't. I look at the EMT going, okay. I I look at my paramedic who's new, and they need help. They are lost. Right, they're they're taking a useless task. They need help. Right, they need some guidance. They need direction. In this situation, your EMT, your your veteran EMT, is your. Your battle hardened sergeant. Yes. And your paramedic is your butter bar, fresh out the box lieutenant. And he, that EMT. <laughs> yeah, baby. Knows more I know. I tried on. not laughing. I tried. <laughs> What'd I say? Something about butter, butter ball, bar. But <laughs> hurt something lieutenant. Okay. I don't know. Right. <laughs> it was funny. Br- it's on the bees. New, everything's still shiny, right? Never been shot afraid at. of your own shadow. Right. Yeah, right. So here, this EMT is really that medic's best resource. Yeah. If if for anything else, then to remain focused or get refocused back on and and get back on task mm-hmm. and not be overwhelmed and and overcome with you know the the holy shit factor in front of you. Right, and and I think that is literally what this EMT is attempting to do is refocus all of that right. pucker factor. Oh crap! This guy is gonna literally die in front of me. I don't know what to do. We've seen it in brand new medics where they get overwhelmed and then it's chicken with their head cut off. Mm-hmm. Like they just revert back to either BLS skills or a useless task. They find a useless task and they just go right. about it. Like, I'm gonna check a blood sugar. Yeah, <laughs> right. Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna clean up my garbage right, right now, even though this patient's <laughs> barely breathing. But I'm gonna take that minute to do that. You know, and, uh, and we have a wet bandage here. Right? <laughs> Why I, take a blood sugar? I need to take care of the wet bandage. <laughs> and and I agree. I think this <laughs> you're losing Sorry. it, buddy. Yeah. Um, I I agree. the The redirection is needed in this case. Uh, the EMT actually further uh, looks at their paramedic and is like, "Dude, they have a heart rate in the 30s." Fix that. So would you guys, you know, the EMT is literally telling their medic, do something because the guy's bradycardic in the 30s. You guys are thinking airway. Is it airway or is it heart rate? One one you have circulation and one you have airway. I need airway first. But I don't, I mean, could you... Could the EMT bag them, fix their heart rate, and then go back and do a more advanced airway if needed? Like, do we need to take all the time right now to intubate them? 
Well, and I'm also thinking. I was even thinking the other way. I was even thinking I could have my EMT put the pads on and get everything set up ready to pace if necessary. Or if we're going to go chemical, you know, we already have our line, so we're good to go there. But yeah. That's almost why I I feel like I would fix the heart. Like I would. Somebody needs to bag them. I'm thinking that we have a firefighter get in the front and start driving because we've got 15 minutes before we can meet the helicopter who can be an extra set of hands if we need it. Your EMT can bag. You can have your medic in the back. Kelsey Smart. Should have got him on the get-go. Yeah. Lots of things. They need to get going. Yeah. Lots of things to divulge or, you know, dissect here. So I don't care who drives. Don't kill me. The the EMT actually goes Emily's route. The EMT measures in places in OPA with ease. No gag, no nothing. So you could have just dropped a king tube or something. Probably boom done. Right. I mean, yeah, airway for me. That the fact that he just took that like a champ. Yeah, yeah. I want the airway now. No issues. I I I really like how the EMT uses the OPA over the NPA with the head injury. I like that. And they go right into providing bag valve mask ventilations to the patient, attempting one breath every five seconds. Um, The medic does indeed decide to follow the the guidance of their EMT and fix the heart rate. They place uh, both defib paddles to the chest and begin pacing the patient at a rate of 75 beats per minute. They are able to maintain both electrical and mechanical capture while pacing. Um, Now... The EMT, again, like a champ, instructs one of the firemen (laughs) to get into the goddamn ambulance and begin transporting to the LZ. Okay? So, while en route, the EMT... I'm I'm sorry. Literally, I was on the edge of my seat. We're like, call one of the firemen to jump in. I'm like, please don't let him touch the patient. Don't let him touch the patient. Don't let him touch... Drive? Okay, yeah, cool. Drive. But, I mean, they've got a 15-minute drive and a very broken patient. On top of the time that they have to get to the hospital... You know, yeah. going through this call, I just keep thinking at, the, at one of the agencies, I'm like, I would literally be fired if I told a firefighter to get in the ambulance and drive. <laughs> nope. This, this guy is like, do it. Don't kill us. That's what I'm saying. Get me there. They'd don't kill like, me and don't make me get puke. the fuck out. Yeah. So <laughs> while en route, the EMT uh, looks at their paramedic and asks, are you going to intubate this patient? As even with the bag valve mask ventilations, the SpO2 has only increased to 85%. And this is on supplemental oxygen. So, you know, BBM with 15 liters. The medic hesitantly says, no, just keep bagging. The flight crew will intubate him when we get there. The EMT then looks at them (laughs) and pushes against the choice by their paramedic, stating that the patient's unresponsive, unconscious, took an oral airway with ease, and is not perfusing and or oxygenating at all. Go with this EMT. Right. Drop the king, dude. And that's it. Do they have a king? So they do have a secondary airway. I don't know whether, you know, at this time it might have been a king, it might have been a combi tube, but even still. No, it's not that old. I get it. You're you're rolling down. You know you're brand new. You're freaking out. Oh, okay. Okay. So we're not going to sit there and set up and everything and have the nice, you know, stable environment to to do you know uh, laryngoscopy. Okay, great. Just drop the king. Yeah. Thirty five seconds. Rip it and rip it. But even go. if you're freaking out at the end of the day, all we have fixed is A, B, and C. We have done not a goddamn thing else. That's true. But but in reality. That's that's all this guy needs is right. A, B, and C. And C. Much, right. right, but that's what I'm saying. Right? So, like, like, take the trauma out of it, take the stun factor yeah. out of it. Yeah. Yes, they're broken. All yeah. you're doing is A, B, and C. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. So, 
the uh, the EMT continues and says, why wait another 10 minutes to get to the flight crew when you could easily do it right now? The medic again declined to intubate, leaving the EMT to continue bagging with, an, uh, with just attempting to increase the SpO2. Ultimately, they, arri- they do arrive at the LZ approximately 10 minutes later and turn over care to the flight, cre- uh, the flight team. Who then decides to the start a presser? Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, which is how funny. Do you take like, your flight team. I, my cream. <laughs> I mean, how many firemen have creamed over the flight team? So- <laughs> and that wasn't me. I didn't say it. I've given up. <laughs> We're not even recording this at night. <laughs> yeah, what happened today? I don't know. It's a <laughs> nice day I, I out. <laughs> Did you not see my breakdown earlier? <laughs> so the flight team uh, decides to start another peripheral line. Uh, they actually uh, IO the uh, the gentleman. Thank you. They start a presser, and ultimately, once oh, they, they get do have pressers. The flight team, the flight team oh, okay, has sorry. the pressers. I'm and, still laughing about the last <laughs> joke. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, the, the flight team will RSI this patient. They load him into the aircraft and transport him to the level one trauma center, uh, which, like I said, is about a 22 minute flight instead of the 90 minute drive right. that these. And, I, you know, with the with the way this medic was treating the severity and the anxiety of this call, I don't even know if they would have made the 90 minutes. I'm wondering no. if they would have been like, oh, let's go 20 minutes to oh, the, oh, to oh. the you know, Band-Aid station. It sounds like that. Get an airway Just and go. get a hospital. It sounds like that person was definitely in the, I'm not comfortable here. Let me get out of this situation as soon as I possibly can. Yeah. But isn't that the yeah. whole point of the flight crew? Well, yes, but to a certain extent. What if there was a cloud over Idaho? If there was a cloud, it's Omaha. Whatever. Yeah. Nobody cares about potatoes. There can be a a cloud over Australia. They're still not going to fly. So (laughs) they've been attempting, at least in this area, to take more flights. Three knots. So (laughs) yeah, it it is. Aren't making a difference. (laughs) So you know, in reflecting on a lot of the teaching points of this call. I look at this EMT as they they literally took over the call from the paramedic, even though they weren't the highest certified provider on the scene. They acted like the primary care provider, right? Like they were the ones that were really pushing for certain things to be done, assessments to be done, treatments to be done, you know, calls to be made. And I really like that. Like the EMT, like you kind of alluded to, Gerard, he took charge with his experience, you know, and kind of led that paramedic as best they could. You know, you can't force a paramedic to do something, but it's it's a good teaching point and a reminder for all the EMTs out there that sometimes they have to be. You know, the primary care provider on a scene that they are not. The highest ranking pe- right. person on if team effort. Yeah, if you would have told me that that the EMT, you know, finally after pleading with the medic to do something about the airway, stood up, grabbed him by the lapels, and smacked him three times in the face, I would have been, yeah, I'm good with that too. Yeah, that, I, I would have been like, good job. Absolutely. <laughs> Anything to snap this kid's head around and get back in the game, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And and we all have those, you know, calls that have the pucker factor or the, oh man, they're going to die in front of me. And we all get amped. You know, we all get worried like, oh my God, what do I do next to fix this? And sometimes there is no fixing it, you know? And I think that's one of the, the one of the worst things that we as providers in the pre-hospital setting always have that need to fix it. Sometimes you can't, you can only aid in helping it, you know? Uh, I mean, we've talked, you know, in length uh, previous episodes where, the, the patient was going to go downhill anyway, you know, and because the provider got anxious or worried about, I need to fix this right, right here with this drug or this, you know, intervention, mm. they actually missed the ball and further their patient down the, down the drain. Yeah, and then there's always the distracting injuries. Right. Um, you know, I mean, like anytime I want any kind of a traumatic injury call like always in the back of my head before i get out of the ambulance the first thing i I, I like consciously say to myself is don't chase the red herring don't get Mm -hmm. suckered in yeah find real injuries find real stuff don't you know there's gonna be blood there's gonna be guts there's gonna be all kinds of stupid shit but you know a a foot dangling off by a thread you know with a venous bleed it's not gonna kill you isn't gonna kill the person you know that's it's the you know the hemonumo that you miss because you're down there, you know, fiddly fucking with the uh, the foot. Mm-hmm. That's gonna. Yep. And I'm surprised you know. this guy didn't have some form of. I feel like he should have been worse. Awful as that sounds. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you're not breathing, but like just be worse. <laughs> yeah. You never did see the back. You know, right. I know. I mean, he could have been sixty <laughs> feet down. I feel like in my brain, I was expecting like worse. I don't know. Not don't breathing know gets, and unresponsive. Yeah, I don't know if it, it gets worse than like with a heart rate of thirty-two. Neurogenic no, shock. Well, I was thinking. I was thinking more like in the, like that initial prison when he, they first brought him up. It was like I would have been expecting. Like he looks like he was mauled by a bear when they brought him up. You know, where he's yeah. just a train wreck waiting to happen. He's he's already down the drain. But no, they brought him and it's like okay, a little hypotensive. I can fix that. Okay, he's bradycardia. Hey, we're gonna deal with that. You know, hey, he's breathing on his own. Hey, fuck yeah, great. <laughs> Do you think there were enough warning signs initially? With the hypotension and, and so, bradycardia. Yeah. That, oh, I think so, that, yeah. The moment you said those, I was like, yeah. we got we to yeah. get this show on the road. Yeah. Right, and and I yeah. think, I, I don't, I can't, you know, for, for certain say this crew saw the urgency. You know, it seems like they kind of lingered around for a while. Um, I think the, like for me, the selling point was the 60 foot fall, no helmet. Yeah, and then these well, are, and the bradycardia, right? And these are your vitals. And yeah, like, yeah, no. Yeah, we're gonna have Especially, a problem yeah. real quick. Yeah, when you think of the hypotension, like you would anticipate them to be tachycardic, the bradycardia screams neuro. Right. Yeah, and when you think of neurogenic shock, you have to think of that like mass vasodilation. Mm-hmm. So, so I, everything just kind of fit in. Well, and that's it. I mean, so I wanted to have a, a discussion with neurologic shock because. You know, we don't see neurogenic shock all that often. And when we do, I feel like a lot of providers get caught off guard because they're trying to treat the hypotension. They're trying to treat the respiratory. They're trying to treat the bradycardia, which really is what we have to treat. But they're not seeing like, hey, he just took a 60 foot fall with recoil in his in his rope maybe snapped his spine, but then took another possibly 30 to 40 foot fall. And then smashed and his head on the, the ground, right? Yeah. right? Yeah. So 
when we have uh, neurogenic shock, it's defined as an overall disruption of the uh, of the sympathetic nervous system due to some sort of acute spinal injury. Okay, uh, depending on where the spinal injury occurs, it can often affect different aspects of the body's functions. So typically. If, you know, wherever the line of injury is, anything below that line, internal organs, motor sensory function, that is what is affected. However, not always the case. Um, and your three biggest signs right in here, right? Uh, irregular ventilations, the hypotension and the bradycardia. Uh, this is created by the loss of sympathetic tone within the vasculature, as well as the sympathetic control Within the internal pacemaker of the heart. Which also gives us a reason we had that other sign right before everything really went south. When we were doing our physical exam, we lost all peripheral pulses. Correct. Yeah, I thought that And too. we became yeah. super cyanotic. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. so when, when you lose all of that tone within your vasculature, your blood begins to pool. Right. As that blood begins to pool, not enough blood is returning back to the heart. So your preload goes down, which is why you get the hypotension. But then, because there's no sympathetic control of your pacemaker, you become bradycardic. Typically, when you're hypotensive, you become tachycardic, right? We all know that. In this case, you're now bradycardic, which then now you're not being able to perfuse the tissues because you're hypotensive as well. And the whole thing just... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it spirals well out of control. Yeah, in simple terms, your body is not compensating. Right. It's you like, you lose good, all of um, your compensatory mechanisms. Yeah. Well, you know yeah. what's funny is back to my wet bandage here. <laughs> the further you got into the call, <laughs> I keep thinking like when you think of neuro, you also have trouble regulating your body temperature. Mm -hmm. So now I'm thinking wet bandage, like oh, is he hyperthermic? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like yeah. that's another clue. Maybe it was blood. Maybe it wasn't blood. That, it held the key the whole time. I knew it yeah. from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's no way for me to tell you I whether know. you're right or wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> but any trauma, especially when you think of the fall, the snapback, and then the fall again, um, and they're bradycardic, mm -hmm. screams neuro. Yes. Any bradycardic after a trauma is neuro mm -hmm. to me until proven otherwise. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, Unless he's really freaking calm, which I doubt. I doubt. Right. <laughs> I right. mean, he is unresponsive, so he was pretty calm. But even being unresponsive, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and again, this is, we also have to look at things like um, when this call took place. And I'm not saying this call took place, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but this, this agency was not RSI credentialed, so they couldn't have RSI'd him. They either had to wait until he was unresponsive to intubate him or nasally intubate him. Yeah. And I don't even know. Not with a head injury. No. With a yeah, head injury, no. nasal intubation is out of out of the realm of possibilities. Well, it's fine because they waited for him to go unresponsive and didn't intubate anyway. I don't think, so. I don't think that paramedic would have done <laughs> yeah, it. Think, oh, no. What, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, secondly, there's no pressors on board, so they can't they can't give an alpha yes. to wow. they can't to fix do, the vasodilation. Right, they right. can't fix right. the vasodilation. They can just give fluid. Third, this system doesn't have any type of uh, secondary um, I/O like devices. So it was IV or nothing. Oh. This is in the <laughs> a. This is this is five six years wow. ago now where it was the late age of the EJ. Remember that the EJ is a lost skill in EMS because true. we have the IO, right? Yeah. So would this 
what would have happened if the IV wasn't able to be established in that right AC? And now this, this EMT is telling their paramedic, dude, you got a shot for an EJ, like 14 gauge it up. Let's go. Would they have been able to do it? You know, I, I, I like to look at things like that and just kind of contemplate how we would go about doing it now. If we Mm -hmm. didn't have those tools, you know, how would things be different? The closest ALS ambulance to this is 30 minutes away. Even if you wanted help, you ain't getting it within a timely fashion. You know, that's yeah. where getting to the LZ was the most appropriate thing because there you at least have two higher level people that can do that stuff. That have the skills, yeah. That have yeah. the stuff. They have the IO drill. They have the pressors. They have the RSI capabilities. You know, so I, I like to look at things like that um, and kind of think about how I would do it. You know, this would be a great thing. Like, I would look at the guy's feet and be like, hey, pop a line in his feet. Why go. not? You know, singular foot. Singular. Well, I, you can put a line in the other one. He I mean, already no, didn't have a pulse from oh, the get Oh, that's right. He didn't have a pulse in <laughs> it that ain't going to do that's anything. True. Yeah, it ain't going to do anything. So, yeah, you're down to one foot. <laughs> You know what? That's what EJs are for. Or weird veins like shin veins and scalps. Sca- uh, no, I would never the, scalp the, the, the big a forehead one right there. That He's got a forehead lacking a wet bandage. Yeah, you I don't picture if you walked into a hospital and they have a fucking IV on their forehead. Oh I my mean, they god! Kids. I've seen people with really nasty veins right there. I'm like, you know what? I I wonder one day if I ever have to freaking Dear do it. Dear God, would I, would I have to hit that thing? You know? That would be, please, it's serious. please, break HIPAA and let me watch you do that. <laughs> Get permission first. You know, like knowing my luck? FaceTime it. <laughs> I want to watch. Knowing my luck, I'll probably have someone with some weird condition. Like, no, you can only go on my scalp. <laughs> right. Yeah. That'd be hilarious. So, and painful. I'm right between the eyes. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. You know, I give up. <laughs> Before we end, is there anything that you guys uh, want to say that, you know, last thoughts on this good, bad, ugly? I think the lesson, the, the real lesson here is, you know, get your scene size up. And I know that's the preaching today is, oh, don't pay attention to mechanism of injury. Well, this is something where maybe you should pay attention to the mechanism of injury. When you show up on scene, your MOI is 60 foot fall onto rocks with no helmet. I don't need a fucking slide rule to figure out. I'm probably going to need a fucking helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So, yeah, right off the rip, we pull in a parking lot and get me a helicopter. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we'll go figure out where, where we're going to set up shop and, and meet these people on the way up. Yeah, I, I that, 100% that been, agree. You, know. you girls? Anything? I'm just going to make a mention on neurogenic shock, um, which actually came through in this scenario is it usually takes around 30 minutes for you to really see the effects of neurogenic shock. But neurogenic shock is going to happen pretty much between 30 minutes and like six or seven hours from the initial onset of the injury. So even if you don't have a long extrication and you're with the patient right away, constant reassessment mm-hmm. is key because you're going to see these signs start to come. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they weren't bradycardic when they first got help, but we were never going to mm-hmm. know that, but just keep reassessing. And, and you know what? They might have been, they might not have been bradycardic, but they weren't perfusing well right. when they first got there. Well, with, the, whether, with an SPO2. With an SPO2 of 75. Maybe it was because they had lost pulses in certain, you know, yeah. extremities yeah. or the they were already becoming, yeah. you know, and they, right. 
But the even hypoxia with the respirations, who knows? Yeah. And even think for if you're on a BLS level with this and there's two EMTs, like constant reassessment, you can't just put them on the monitor and keep an eye on their heart rate all the time. So just constant reassessment, watch yeah. the heart rates, watch right. those vitals. Don't do that goddamn paperwork. Yeah. Don't pick up the time. I don't know how you could sit there. there on this we did a whole episode like, I don't know how you would sit one. there oh. with a patient like that and be like, boop, 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 date of birth, well, I mean, social the last security one sat there number. And flat out fucking died so well that's what i'm saying we did yeah. a whole episode on looking for the dead guy check it out <laughs> <laughs> you know it'll tell you all of our scathing you know opinions about <laughs> doing paperwork while treating a patient yeah i mean you know at the end of the day I'm, you may get out out of work late oh fucking well mm -hmm. you know don't sit there you know on your way to your you know uh destination sitting there filling out you know half your chart you know, okay, if they throw some freaking quick numbers in or whatever just to get it going, okay, I, I get it, and then throw it off to the side. Yep. You know, but uh, if you've got a critical patient, shouldn't even touch that shit. If there's nothing else, guys, we will see you in May. Uh, May 1st is going to be a very interesting uh, episode. We're going to have our first guest that is outside of the realm of EMS. Uh, her name is Joni, and she is going to be joining us talking all about uh, a really cool EMS first responder veteran program that she runs here in New York state that is all geared towards EMS mental health because we wanted to do something for mental health month. So I think EMS mental health is something that is a big topic right now because there's more and more awareness towards it. Uh, but yet there's still a lot of blowback against it. And, uh, and her program is really interesting. So, uh, I think you guys should, uh, you know, definitely check that out and it, it'll be, maybe you can take advantage of, of her program. I know they just went national with the EMS side of her program. So I think it'd be Betty, a, yeah. I think it'd be a really interesting conversation. Plus maybe she'll bring one of her puppies. Oh, she oh so my God. I know. I, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a dog rescue program. So it's, it's kind of really exciting. It's kind of intriguing. I wonder how Rubble would take it. <laughs> He'd probably bark at the other dog. And well, the other dog would be like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I'm a service dog. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Do you think dogs look at other, like, cop dogs and it's like, oh, fuck, that's a cop? I, like I wonder, do? Or, or do they do like? Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, and even within that realm, like the like the different levels, like you know, you got the one who's like a, you know, I mean, I got a cool job. I'm like a rescue dog. I'm a, you know, do all. I'm a therapy dog. Oh, that's cool. You know, hey, I'm a drug dog. Hey, that's, you know, I get to sniff out drugs. And then like you get the one dog, he's like all pissed off and shit. And well, what's wrong with you? I'm a fucking bomb squad. <laughs> <laughs> or not even like that. Do you think like you look at? You I know, get confused by pizza sometimes. It really bothers me. <laughs> I, I'm wondering more if it's like we look at other providers or, you know, cops and we're like, wow, what a pompous jackass. And like, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, that dude's totally a douche. And then you see like the, you oh, know, you know the shepherds. canine service dog come in yeah. and you're like the, the old bulldog sitting on the stoop right. going to be like with, you know, saltines and Skittles stuffed in their jowls is like, dude's a douche. <laughs> all them shepherds, man, they're all assholes. They're all assholes. <laughs> Anywho, guys, uh, stay safe for the uh, rest of April, and we will see you in May. Le poisson. <laughs> Negative. I don't like it's it. Not the same. <laughs> Frenchy. I don't like it. Try again. Donuts. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like more information on the podcast or to send us a call to review, visit medicmaterials.com forward slash podcast. 
To learn more information, like us on Facebook at Medic Materials EDU or watch our weekly instructional videos on the Medic Materials YouTube channel.